bright all of a sudden. All right. Some great songs. I, uh, I blew something in my throat on How Great Thou Art there at the end. I think I was trying to be a soprano, and it, uh, no, I'm fine. <laughs> it uh, <clears throat> just kind of got me there, got a little high, and I just went with it. Shouldn't have. Anyway, take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, as we look at that tonight. Uh, it's been a while since we've been in Ephesians. And if you recall, in those first three chapters, the Apostle Paul was dealing specifically with doctrinal issues. He was dealing with being new in Christ, made alive in Christ, this, uh, this new creature. And he was given instruction about how that came about. He said, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not of works, so that no man may boast. I mean, he's, he's so emphatic there that I want you to understand this work of God, this work of Christ that has taken place in you through his atonement, by his Holy Spirit's work in your life. I mean, in those first three chapters, Paul is all about doctrine. He's all about uh, laying the foundation for what the Christian life is all about. Then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he's making practical application of that doctrine. I don't have time to go back and hit on everything he said in chapters 1, 2, and 3, but suffice it to say, he laid a great foundation. Second only, I think, to what he did in the book of Romans, that he laid down the, the power of God, the work of God in changing us from children of darkness into children of light, from changing us from men and women who are outside of Christ, who are now in Christ. Those who were dead in our trespasses and sins but those of us who now are alive because of the work of Christ in our life. I mean, he, he takes that and he gives a clear manifestation, a clear presentation of all that takes place in the work of Christ being applied to our lives, that we might understand that we are saved by grace and that not of ourselves. It's not, a, it's not works. It's nothing we can boast about. I mean, the, the Christian who understands the, the essence and the nature of their salvation boast in Christ and his cross. They, they really do. Paul said to the, in the Galatian Christians, may it never be that I boast in anything other than the cross of Christ. That is the essence of a true believer. They say, look, it's all of Christ. It's all of God. It's all of his work. I, I just am a grand recipient by his grace and for his glory. And, and so Paul is saying, I want you to understand that uh, because it's important you understand that. If you're going to understand what chapters 4, 5, and 6 are all about. And, and so in chapter 4, which we looked at the first six verses a decade or so ago, it seems like. But uh, we looked at the first six verses, and, and there we saw where Paul is talking about the unity of the body. The unity of believers. This morning, we talked about in the sermon that, that Jesus, was he a uniter or a divider? A divider or a uniter? And, and we saw in Scripture clearly this morning that Jesus is both. He is a divider uh, when it comes to issues of truth. Those who do not abide in the truth, those who not, do not believe in him, see him and they have struggles with him. And, and so he divides the believer from the unbeliever. He, he divides the skeptic from the, from the seeker, if you will. But, but the truth of the matter is, Jesus divides. He's not peaceful, loving Jesus, meek and mild that never would offend anybody. There's a great offense in the gospel. There's a great offense in Christ uh, to those who do not believe and to those who refuse to believe. And so, 
So, so Paul comes in chapter 4 here in these first six verses, and he talks about the unity that God has given us. Now, I want to read those six verses, even though I'm going to preach on tonight, but let's just by way of review. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance or, uh, or forbearing with one another, tolerance to one another uh, in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, so Paul there in, in those verses talks about the unity of the body. He said we are unified in one faith. We are unified under one Lord. We are unified in one body, that is the church. We are unified in one spirit, that is the Holy Spirit. And we were called in one hope, that's our calling. And we have one faith. That, that one faith there, the, the word faith there is not used so much as the faith that we express, you know, that we have faith in Christ, but it's the faith, it's the essence of the, of the truth of Christianity. When, when uh, again, when Jude said, you know, I, I, I want to write to you about our common salvation, but I felt compelled to write to you, having you contend earnestly for the faith that was delivered once and, all, once and for all to the saints. And that's the faith Paul is talking about here. It's the faith. It's the essence of the gospel. It's the essence of grace. It's the essence of who Christ is. And Paul says we will be united around that one faith, one baptism, one God, one, who is Father, who is over all, through all, and in all. So in those verses, Paul says, I want you to understand, there's a great unity within the body around truth. We can never seek unity apart from truth. We can never seek unity for the sake of unity. If we say, well, you know, if we take the, the Rodney, uh, what was his name out in California, his, uh, who? King, Rodney King. We, we can't take his approach, you know, well, can't we all just get along? No, not if, there's a, not if, it's, a, it, not if it's not centered in the truth. Not if it's not centered in the one faith and the one gospel and the one truth. It's a matter of we must all stand together in the truth. And that unity is in the truth of the gospel. If truth is being denied, you can't say, well, I, I can unite with them. That's one of the real struggles that, that takes place. You know, everybody says, well, let's just, let's just get all the churches together and let's just have big rallies and just have uh, big, big services together. And you say, well, well what's going to be preached there? You cannot do that uh, in a, and just have a hodgepodge of things that disagree around truth, that some deny truth. I'll never forget one time in my life, <clears throat> I was scheduled to preach. Uh, never got asked to do this again, but I was scheduled to preach a Thanksgiving community service in Stone Mountain, Georgia. And... Uh, I, I said, sure, I'd love to. I didn't know where it was going to be or anything, but I accepted the invitation. And about two weeks before it, uh, we got the, all the information in the mail about where it was going to be. It was going to be at um, Corpus Christi Roman Catholic Church. And uh, I went, oh. And I struggled with that. Do I go and do I preach? Well, I kind of felt like Paul at Mars Hill. I'll be honest with you. And so I went in. And I stood and looked at all the, I mean, I felt like Paul at Mars Hill. There were all the statues, all the 
the saints, statues around and everything, and I preached on justification by faith in Christ alone. And I felt fine doing that. Uh, you know, they never asked me to do it again at any and I think it's gone before me to other places I've gone because nowhere else have I ever been invited to preach at a community, uh, ecumenical, non-denominational, every denominational uh, Thanksgiving service. It hadn't been invited. So I'm sure somewhere down the line they're saying, don't invite that guy. He'll preach on justification by faith alone in Christ alone. But that's all right. I did, and uh, I survived, and I guess they probably survived also. But, but that's what I'm saying. The, the, true, the, the unity, oneness, has to be around the truth of God's Word. But Paul also wants to understand that this unity is not a uniformity. This unity is not a sameness. It doesn't mean that we all start looking alike and, and, and saying all the same things just the same way that, that, that Pastor Bill or, or any of the other pastors would say, that within the body there's this great unity around the truth, but there's a great diversity. But that diversity is found in the giftedness. That's within the body. There's unity and there's diversity. Unity in the truth, unity in the gospel, diversity in the gifts. And that's what he deals with starting in verse 7. Now listen to this. For to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now understand here when that word grace is used there, it's the word charismata. It, it's, not a word, it's not the word grace that for by grace you have been saved. I mean, it has the same essence in one sense. But, but literally what Paul is saying there is each of us have been given, to each of us, we've been given a grace gift, a charismata. There is a grace gift, a spiritual gift that has been given us who are in Christ in order to use within the body. And you don't have the same gift I have. And, and the person sitting next to you probably didn't have the same gift you have. We, we are gifted differently by the Holy Spirit. But here's the great truth. Every person that is in Christ, every person that is a believer is given a, a spiritual gift. God gifts you in some way to function within the body. If you're using that gift, the body functions well. If you're not using that gift, the, the body is, is, is crippled. The, the body is, is damaged because God is, Paul is saying here, listen, to each one of us, emphatically each one of us, grace, charisma taught, grace gift, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And his Christ's gift was abundant, it was overflowing, it was, it was full. And he has gifted his body in much the same way. Now he goes on, he quotes, uh, he paraphrases, I won't say he quotes because if you, in a moment, take your, don't do it while I'm preaching, please, but if you, when you get home tonight, you go over and look up this verse in, that, that Paul uses here out of Psalm 68, you're going to say, well, it sounds like the Psalms is saying exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying. Paul paraphrases it uh, and applies it to the church in an important way. He says, therefore, it says, in quote Psalm 68, 18, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, again, that, that's a very tricky verse for some people. Some people say, oh, he ascended in the lower parts of the earth. And when we think of the lower parts of the earth, we think of what's under the earth. We, we think of, of down below. And some will say, 
Oh, it's talking about Paul. Uh, Paul's talking about here that Jesus ascended into heaven after he had descended into hell. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about he, 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 he ascended back into heaven and led, led captive a host of captives. That is, he, he's victorious. He's the king. He's demonstrating that by his ascension. And, and Adam preached on that a few weeks ago and, and did a, a great job on just talking about the ascension. He went and he, he proclaimed his power. He proclaimed his presence. He proclaimed his glory and then sent the Holy Spirit. But in his ascension, what does it mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? Folks, you and I live in the lower parts of the earth. Okay, it, we're here. This is, this, is the Lord, this is where he descended to. He descended here to demonstrate the power of God, the presence of God, and he ascended back into heaven. And, and in that ascension, in that ascension, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts. In his ascension, his departing the earth, he sends his Holy Spirit, and at Pentecost we see the, the outpouring, the, the power of the, the Holy Spirit there. And through that Holy Spirit, he empowers his church. He gifts his church for doing the work that he left us on earth to do to begin with. Now, if, if, if he didn't do that, if there was no work for us to do, if there was not a, a, a giving of grace gifts for us to be able to, to continue the work that literally he began on this earth then he would have been better off when he led host of ca- uh, captive, uh, a host of captives if he had just said, come on and go with me now and take us on up. Or when you're saved, when you come to Christ, just take you out right then because you know, if there's not a job to do and he's not going to equip you and gift you to do that on this earth, then why stay here? And, and that's what Paul is wanting us to see here. In his ascension, he has now sent his Holy Spirit who has given us spiritual gifts uh, and, and given spiritual gifts not just to us individually. He says to all of us he gave gifts, but also he's given gifts to his church. And those two gifts are different. They're, they're similar, but they're different. When he says there in verse 7, but to each of us grace was given, charismata, grace, gifts were given according to Christ's measure, he's talking about spiritual gifts like you find listed in 1 Corinthians 12. Turn over there with me to 1 Corinthians 12 and start in verse 4. And there the Apostle Paul says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, now follow this. This is important. Do you see? There is diversity of gifts, but there's unity because it's the same Spirit. There's not many spirits. There's one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who gives these gifts, but there are varieties of gifts. There are many different gifts. And there are varieties of ministries. He, he seems to, in, in, to the Corinthian Christians, make a little differentiation between the spiritual gifts that are given to individual believers and spiritual ministries that are given to the church. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. In other words, you've got different ministries, and Paul will deal with that in Ephesians, we'll look at it in a minute, but they're all centered around and under the authority of the same Lord. There's diversity in gifts one spirit. There's diversity in, in, in ministries, one Lord. And there are varieties of effects. That is, spiritual gifts and spiritual ministries will have magnitudes, differing effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Now, I want you to see the Trinitarian nature of Paul's discussion here. 
Different gifts, same Spirit. Different ministries, same Lord. Different effects of that, but same God, same Father who works all things in all persons. The point I want you to see here is that God will gift you in some ways that he hadn't gifted other people. And God may use your giftedness. It may not be even a flamboyant gift, but he may use your gift of service or mercy. We'll see lifts it here in a minute. To, to, affect the, uh, to bring about the, the people coming to faith in Christ. It's not just the preachers and the evangelists and, the, and those who, who bring about people coming to faith in Christ. It's not just their job, but it's, our, it's all of ours. So he goes on, he says, there are many varieties. But, verse 7, but to each one, every member of the church, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For, for to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and another faith by the same Spirit, and to other gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each individual just as he wills. And that's the key to that. It's as the Spirit wills, as the Spirit carries it forth. It's not something we seek. It's not something we choose. It's what God chooses to equip us and gift us with. So that's what Paul says. And he goes on to say, for even, even as the body is one, yet has many members, and all the members are of the body, though they are many, and one body, so also is Christ. So he says there's, there's a differentiation there. Or you could look in the book of Romans. If you look back a little bit to Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about gifts there. And in, in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 6, or let's start in verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, the charismata that is given to us, the grace gift given to us. But each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. And by the way, prophecy there does not mean foretelling the future. It's proclaiming the truth. It's prophesying. It's speaking forth the truth of God. Do it in his, uh, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. I don't know many people who pray and ask God to give them the spiritual gift of giving. It's a spiritual gift. It's an important spiritual gift. That was supposed to have been funny, but you didn't think it was. I'm losing it. He who, thank you, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You see, there's... There, Paul, again, he doesn't list the gifts exactly the same, but he says, here are gifts that you may have for telling the truth, speaking the truth, teaching the truth, serving, showing mercy, giving, whatever it might be. But there he says, it's different. You don't all have the same one. And, and even over in Peter, in 1 Peter, 
uh, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Peter says there, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Peter says, listen, as you have received a gift, and, and there's, there's the, the expectation, there is the, ex, there's the uh, implication there that we have all in Christ received a gift. So as you have received that special gift, employ it in serving one another. A spiritual gift is never given by the Holy Spirit for me to say, I'm really spiritual because I've got this spiritual gift. It's never intended to, to say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm a better Christian than you because I've got this spiritual gift. No, spiritual gifts, no matter what they are, are given to serve one another, to minister to one another, to be involved in one another's lives. That's what Peter is saying. Serve, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God in your life. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Paul says, there you have it. Peter says, there you have it. If you're in Christ, you have been gifted, and you are to be a good steward of that gift. Now, I know people say, well, I don't know, I don't. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Then just start serving, and God will guide you in that way. Start looking for a way to minister. Maybe it's a Hope Way or Colonial Village, or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's in Peru, or maybe it's your next-door neighbor, or maybe it's in Sunday school with the children or adults, whatever. Just find a place and start ministering. You can do it in your Sunday school class without being the teacher. But just start looking for a way to minister to other people. And, and God will bring forth and demonstrate to you what your gift is. And all of a sudden, it'll dawn on you. You know how you'll know it? Because people's lives will start being affected by what you're doing and how you're ministering. Because that's the whole purpose of spiritual gifts, that we affect other people's lives, that we minister to them and change their lives. So there's these spiritual gifts that have been given. As he ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit, and he gifted people. Now, verses 11 through 13 are a little different. Because there he's not talking so much about spiritual gifts as he's talking about spiritually gifted men to the church. These men have spiritual gifts, but, but they serve in an office, if you will, within the church. And they, they have, some of these are foundational, some of these are, are, are pertinent to today. But I want you to see what, what Paul says here, because this is important. And I want you to see a great era that arose in churches throughout the world, especially in America, and I think especially in Baptist churches, and probably more specifically in Southern Baptist churches, because of one little comma. Just one little comma that was inserted. You need to understand this. The Greek text has no punctuation. If you look at the Greek text, it's just a running writing, a running narrative. There's they're, they're not commas and periods. And, and so when the, the text was translated into English, uh, even before King James, the Geneva Bible preceded that, and some of the other Bibles' translations preceded that, they, they looked at it and they said, well, 
To make it easier to read, we'll put commas here and periods here and break it down a little bit and capitalize this word and start a sentence. And, and, and then they came along and said, well, you know what we need to do is we need to break it down in chapters and verses because uh, when a preacher stands up, it's going to be hard for him to say. Now, in the book of Romans, uh, just kind of skim over there about halfway through and look, look for this verse you know, or this word. So they broke down chapters and they broke down verses. Those are not in the original text. Those are inventions of the translators. I would say they're good inventions. I'm glad they're there. makes it a lot easier on me when I stand up and tell you where to turn. But, but there was a comma inserted here in the King James Version of the Bible that I think was a tragic, tragic comma. You don't, you don't think many times that a comma can make that much difference, but I think it made all the difference. And here's where it is. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And, and that's one office, I think, that could almost be hyphenated, pastor-teachers. Now, here's the verse. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith with the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, if you're, if you're looking at verse 12 there, I, I'm going to... We got a King James here? Anybody got a King James Version? I have it printed out here. Okay, Eugene, I should have known you'd have me one. Thank you, brother. Uh, I want you, where, where are there some commas in that verse, verse 12? Where are the commas located? In the King James. Okay, very good. The, uh, the comma that I think is erroneous, because here's what it does. It says three things there that the evangelists, pastor, teachers, prophets, and apostles are to do. It gives three things, when I think there are only two. He, the way King James makes it read is this. For, uh, he has gave some of, he's gave these gifted men to the church for the perfecting of the saints. That is the equipping of the saints, the building up of the saints. Pastor teachers are given to, to instruct you and teach you in doctrinal truth and practical truth and to equip you and, and, and to perfect you in your walk with Christ. No problem there. But then the way King James reads, there's a second thing that these officers are to do, and that is they're to do the work of the ministry. They're to do the work of service. Uh, they're to equip you, and then they're to leave you and go out and do all the ministry. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul, I think that comma needs to be taken out between perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry. Because I think what Paul is saying here is that he has given these gifted teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. The building up of the saints that the saints might do the work of ministry. Now, I'm a saint, so I do the work of ministry. I'm called as that. I'm gifted as that as a believer. But if you put that comma in there, it sounds like you're off the hook. We hire us a preacher to do our ministry. Have you ever heard that? If you haven't, you haven't been to a lot of churches I've been in my whole life. Well, I'm not going to go out and do that. That's what we pay the preacher to do. No, it's not. You pay the preacher to equip you to be able to do ministry wherever you go. You are the ministers. Listen, 
you don't see on our order, you don't see on our staff list, you don't see here are the ministers of Grace Baptist Church. Here are the pastors of Grace Baptist Church. But if we are honest, the ministers of Grace Baptist Church make up the role of the church. We're all ministers. We're all called to ministry. We're all gifted to be ministers. We're just gifted in ways to help equip you and build you up in order to send you out into ministry. But you're not off the hook here, folks. God gave you a grace gift for you to be equipped and you to be edified and you to be grown in your walk with Christ to use that gift in the lives of other people. That's why he gave you a spiritual gift, that you might minister. And then for the edifying of the body of Christ, that is the building up, perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So pastor teachers there, as well as apostles, prophets, and evangelists, they all have that, the, that twofold ministry, edifying, perfecting the saints, making you perfect. My job is to make you perfect. And boy, am I failing. <laughs> glad something finally got me an amen. No, you know, perfecting there does not mean without sin. It does not mean perfect. It, it means the equipping and the building and the strengthening and the bringing you to a point of being more like Christ. And through the proclaiming of the Word, the teaching of the Word, that's to be the purpose of that taking place. And that's what Paul is saying here. And he says, it's until, verse 13, how long is this to go on? How long are pastors to pastor and teachers to teach? And, and how long are we to be involved in this thing as a church together? Well, he says, until this happens, until we all attain to the perfect unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man or woman, a mature believer, to the measure of the statute which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Here's when you can quit ministry, when we're all like Jesus. when we've all reached the measure of the statute which belongs to Jesus Christ. When we all look like Him, you can lay down your ministry, you can lay down your struggle, you can lay down what you've been doing and say, okay, I'm done. Hey, I look like Jesus and everybody around me looks like Jesus. The only thing is, you know when that's going to happen? When you're in heaven. When you're in His presence. It's not going to happen here on the earth. So there is no, oops, let me meddle a minute. There is no retirement plan in Christian ministry. There's no retirement plan. There's a great retirement benefit, but that only comes when you die. There, there's no sitting back and saying, well, you know, I've ministered for 50 years. I'm going to let the younger folks do it. I'm sorry. That's just not a part of the plan of God for Grace Baptist Church or any other church. The, the purpose the purpose of God in your life is to say, listen, I'm going to be involved in ministry. I'm going to help younger people to grow. I'm going to, be, I'm going to use my spiritual gift to minister to them so that they might be able to do what I've done for 50 years in the next 50 years of their life. Do you, do you see that? That's the importance of this passage. He ascended on high and he sent his Holy Spirit to give gifts to every single believer. He didn't leave any of us out. He doesn't say, oh, Todd, tell you what, I'm not going to give you a gift. You just, you just coast, brother. Just go do whatever you want to do. 
it's all right. Then do that. He says to everybody, he gives gifts. Now, I would ask you, are, are, what is your stewardship of the gift that God has given you? I can't answer that for you. You have to answer that yourself. But are you being a steward of what God has given you? Or are you sitting around saying, well, I don't have a spiritual gift and I just don't have one I can do. If you say you don't have a spiritual gift, you know who you're calling a liar? Not me. You're calling God a liar. Because God says, I've given you a gift. If you are in Christ, now if you're not in Christ, you don't have a spiritual gift, okay? So if you're here tonight, you're lost, you got a bigger issue to deal with than spiritual gifts, okay? But if you're here tonight and you're a believer, you're in Christ, you've been born again, God God is moved by His Holy Spirit in your life, then that Holy Spirit that brought you to faith in Christ is the same Holy Spirit that gives you a gift to minister. And my word of exhortation, get off your duff and use it. Let's pray. Duff is a deep theological term, by the way. 